Welcome to episode nine of the Everyday Sense podcast. I'm Jack Richardson alongside Brennan Parks. And uh, Brennan, I, I, I got to come up with something new to say when we start these things off. But once again, it's ownership news. And honestly, the ownership news is turning into Nico Sparks news. Uh, and obviously in episode eight, we touched on Donovan Bailey joining the fold. Russell Peters is now on board, who is a comedian from uh, the GTA. Uh, you know, just... I think I woke up, I think it was Saturday morning. So it was uh, after we had uh, released episode eight and I woke up and I know we touched on it about the ridiculousness, I guess we'll call it of, of all these celebrities joining in. And I say ridiculousness, meaning like, not that I think it's bad. It's just, it's very weird uh, that so many are, are joining in and, and the social media posts and everything. So I woke up and saw that and it was just, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'm, ha- I'm at my wits end a little bit with that. So I, uh, uh, we will talk a little bit more about that, but uh, how, how's it going today? It is uh, on this Monday, May 22nd. We're kind of cooking along here throughout May. It's going good. Yeah, I know. Finally here, we're in the final week of the ownership process. They said this will be the week Bruce Garriox and the coming days will know who the new owner of the Ottawa Senators is. So that's super exciting. Like you said, yeah, the, this Nico Sparks thing, it's especially weird because they're considered to be the one group who might not even be like in it anymore. I mean, that's the speculation is there's three serious bids and, and it sounds like the Nico Sparks one might be on the, the outside of it. So it, it feels weird. It feels like some sort of a play they're doing where it's like maybe they're trying to set up their interest for a different franchise in the States or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, we can dive into the, 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 the latest bit of news on that because it's kind of funny and a bit different than the ones we've been talking about. But um regardless yeah like this is an exciting week this could be the biggest week you know from a certain standpoint for the sense in a long time maybe even in franchise history right it sets them up for the future and and for everything to come so yeah it's time to get excited sense fans it's a big week yeah and hopefully by episode 10 maybe we'll have some kind of news on who's at least left or who who's out i guess uh from from these four groups but yeah so we'll get into a little bit of, of donovan bailey we touched on him again last episode and just, just what it what it means and what he could bring, blah blah blah. Um, but but Bailey uh, is a Leafs fan, grew up, I guess, a Leafs fan, and uh, was on CBC Radio over the weekend and spoke, I guess, about his favorite Sens player or whatever. And we we got an all timer in Mike Spezza. Obviously, he's misspeaking and he he meant uh, Jason Spezza, but it combined maybe with Mike Fisher there. Um, I don't know. I, like, did, what were your your thoughts when you heard that? Because I don't want to like. I bet you, if you go through all these ownership groups, like they're probably gonna mess up some of the players. They're not all super fans like we are, but this just seemed like a little bit of a cherry on top to a very weird situation already. It's just weird because he agreed to go on to CBC and do the the interview, but it's almost like he didn't prep at all. And I know some people were actually outraged on Twitter, and I get it. Like. Eh. I mean, he, he pretty much couldn't name a Sen that's on the team right now or in the past, really, like by saying Mike Spezza. And yeah, it's a misspeak, but at the same time, is it just like him messing up the name or is it him actually not knowing and trying to wing it a little bit, which it, it's just concerning. It's weird because this is a group who, who wants to buy the team, wants to buy the Ottawa Senators, but with every passing day, it kind of seems like they're not able, like, I don't know, the group just seems like they're not interested in the Sens, they're interested in a franchise, like a sports franchise, so... um. It doesn't look good for the Nico Sparks bid. That's all I can say, just based on what we're hearing. I know they might think that the publicity thing is the way to go, and, and it certainly has its you know positive impacts, and it would be cool to see so many celebrities involved. But when you can't name a member of the Sens, that, that's not going to sit well in the small market community here in Ottawa. So um, people have the right to be kind of upset by that. And, and if the group wins, I'm sure we're going to hear about it a lot more. 
Yeah, and I know you mentioned it before we started recording, but uh, as I mentioned, he's a Leafs fan and, and I guess had said it himself, but you'd think, especially this weekend after everything that happened, even if you're just a casual fan, you would have seen Jason Spezza's name out there. And obviously, we, we don't want to like dive too much into a mispronunciation or, or you know, a, you know, he misnamed his first name. Like that, that doesn't matter to me that much, but it's just kind of interesting. Like with the news that Jason Spetz is also leaving the Leafs front office, um, we can kind of spin this into the potential of him joining the Ottawa senators, because if it was, I remember with him towards the end of his playing career, it was Leafs or retirement. Uh, so I imagine now that he's out of the Leafs and he's not going to be working with them anymore in the foreseeable future. I'd imagine the Sens are pretty high up there for him if he wants to step into his role. So we talked about Alfredson a lot. We talked about president of hockey ops, and we've talked about their uh, pro scouting side. Like, what do you, I believe he was the special assistant to the GM, and I think it was, was his title in Toronto. So would you like to see him do something like that with Pierre Dorian? I, I don't know if that would be a, a strange kind of overlap because the two never really worked together. I don't think, I think Pierre was a scout or maybe assistant GM by the time Spezza had left, but uh a little bit interesting coming up to this season. I wouldn't be surprised to see him take a, a, a year off, but would you like to bring uh, number 19 back into the fold? Yeah, it's really interesting because people, there are some bitter feelings with Spezza for the way he left and whatever else happened. Um, I mean, I don't really have any bitter feelings towards him. I'm not too too opposed to the idea. I think like from what we've heard, he did a pretty good job in Toronto with the uh, special assistant to Kyle Dubas. Like he, he actually had a pretty positive influence on the team. So um, this comes back to Dubas too, where the rumor now, Luke Fox from Sportsnet reported that a source told him, and I quote, I think Kyle's waiting, like Kyle Dubas is waiting for Ottawa. That's what they said. And there's been a lot of ties there. I think the Spezza thing really relates to Kyle Dubas in the sense that if Dubas came to Ottawa, I think he'd be the first one to say, let's bring Jason Spezza in here too. And that could be, you know, that doesn't mean Dorian's replaced. Dubas could come in as, as a front office role or an executive or a president of hockey operations bring Spezza in into a front office role, bring Alfredson in, like, we could just have the whole gang coming on in here with new ownership, and I mean, there's positive and negatives to it all, we could get, we've already talked about the Dubas thing, so I don't want to dive too much into that, but, like, this is a real rumor now where it could actually happen, and, and a real source of speculation, um, people, like you said, when we talked about Dubas, they have their Toronto goggles on a little bit, because anybody who comes from Toronto now, and DJ Smith was kind of the cherry on top, anybody that comes from Toronto now, people just automatically do not want doesn't matter what their track record is they just don't like them it's Toronto and that's all they see and I respect it that's fine we all don't like Toronto but I don't know I look past that a little bit and I kind of see what they actually bring and the intangibles they they bring to the table and I mean I see some really positive things from both Dubas and Spezza so I'd be interested in it and and they need to expand that front office group like we talked about last time so uh, if it's Spezza if it's Alfredson if it's both if it's Dubas if it's Dorian like get as many people in here as we can I want to see the owners spending right away yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that too because I, I think Dubis waiting for Ottawa. It's okay. okay what does what does that mean? Is does it mean he's waiting exactly for new ownership? Um, and it could, but I think a report maybe it was over the weekend. It might have actually happened on Friday, and I think it was from Bruce that said alluded to anyway that paperwork for ownership won't be complete until like the fall or like August or something. So that's a whole other thing with LeBreton because I know that the fall twenty twenty three is a deadline for LeBreton, so that's interesting. Um, but if Dubis is waiting and obviously in his year end press conference, the infamous one now, um, last week, he said that he won't be popping up anywhere if it's not in Toronto and you can believe that or not, but 
the report or the source saying that he's going to wait for Ottawa kind of matches that timeline, doesn't it? Because if you're new owners, you can't really fire a GM in August. It doesn't make any sense because you've already started to prep for the next season and the draft and free agency. Everything's already happened. So I know you were tweeting about it, but based on that report, it kind of seems like Pierre and DJ will be back for at least the start of the next season. And I think we should start wrapping our heads around that. And that's fine. But it, I guess, I guess in the future, the summer 2024, it kind of is lining up pretty well, right? Like if, if we want Dubis and he's still out there next summer, that's good. I think you and I are both on the same page on that regard. Like he would be a, a good piece and a good upgrade for them. Um, so just because he's not in the fold now doesn't mean that he won't be next summer, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So it's interesting how that kind of timeline is working out. So I think that's what it means. Dubis is waiting for Ottawa. And obviously it kind of ties into uh, Mike Spezza because obviously he's going to probably follow him. I would imagine like they seemed like they had a good relationship um, and, and Dubis obviously grew up as a sense fan and, uh, and Spezza was, is, is one of the best senators of all time. Um, definitely the most polarizing senators of all time. I, I think it was interesting what you mentioned there about some, some maybe not ill will, but like it wasn't a very happy ending for Spezza. Like he was captain for one season. It wasn't a great year. Uh, I remember, I mean, again, like, like I mentioned with Alfie, we were kind of, maybe we missed the prime, like Jason Spezza years, but looking back at some of those articles about when he was trying to break in on that team with Jock Martin and like the public comments he made, like the coach doesn't like me or something like that. Like, I don't know. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but it was a rocky ride for Jason Spezza in Ottawa. But at the end of the day, he's a franchise legend and a part of one of the best lines of all time in the NHL. So obviously it'd be great to have him back in the nation's capital. It's just like Heatley too, right? Danny Heatley. People are very sour with how things ended with Heatley, but I'm kind of here like bring him back in, like get Heatley back in the alumni games, get like, I want to see him back. I feel no ill will towards any of them. Um, yeah, the Dubas Spezza thing, I, I didn't read too much into why Spezza left necessarily, but I know like, I think there was ties to the fact that Dubas was fired that or didn't get a contract renewal. And that's kind of why Spezza left too, is because he was close with Dubas and felt he should have been back. That's kind of what I'm assuming anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the, the waiting on Ottawa thing is interesting because you see it as maybe next summer, maybe they let go of Dorian, but in that, that could very well be it. But I'm wondering too, like, I, I do wonder if he would take a different role that isn't just directly GM, like, cause with new ownership, it just feels like you might not be able to shake things up right away just because of the timelines, but the timeline for like expanding that front office feels perfect for Dubas because I mean, Dubas, if he has aspirations of, and I know he said he wants to spend a lot more time with his family too. But like, it's not a far drive to Ottawa from Toronto. Like, it, it's a pretty close thing. It's not like a whole uprooting, right? Necessarily. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like the timeline is perfect if he wants to maybe take something that isn't just GM. Like, I'm talking about president of hockey ops a lot because I feel like they need to get somebody in there, and that's a role that's just been missing, and, and it's critical to the operations. Like, you have to fill that ASAP, and they need to do that this summer. I think before the season or whenever they take over, it's got to be a priority. Like, I'd make it almost a number one priority is get somebody in there. I think Dubas is a prime candidate for it. And and I know Leaf or people that don't like the Leafs are going to argue it because they didn't win there and stuff. But I think he is a prime candidate. And and yeah, I mean, I'd like him to be the GM. But I, I said I'm on the Kyle Dubas train, whether it's GM, president of hockey ops, something else, bring him in, get Spezza, start interviewing, like get this stuff going because they need to expand that group. And, and you know, I'm all aboard the Dubas train. Yeah. And just before we kind of move on from, from Spezza and, and all that discussion, and obviously it ties back into Donovan Bailey uh with the, with the the group and i i just think it's it's interesting kind of that we might have to wrap our heads around 
the same kind of regime that we we both kind of blasted last week um coming back for the sends and well we're obviously going to talk about it all summer but it's, it's gonna i think i think contextualize our our i guess expectations if that makes sense like it'll it'll put some some like like i guess i'm trying to put in the words so what what's the if they don't make the playoffs if they're not in the hunt or if if it's blah 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 when do you fire them and and I'm thinking next summer if this team misses the playoffs and we're both saying that they need to make it, like, are you taking a sledgehammer to the roster? Like, what's going to happen? Because it's very possible that owner, new owners come in, put their management people in throughout the season, get a new coach, and this team just misses. And now you're in the summer of 2024. You've been seven years out of the playoffs. What do you do? I think that'll be a different discussion. It obviously depends who's in the front office. But that being said, I think – I don't know. I, I feel like that that Garriock – article bruce's bruce's allusion to uh the, the, the fact that it might take longer um than, than we're all hoping kind of maybe like the wheels are starting to spin here like I'm, I'm kind of trying to picture what this team's going to look like and what what the expectations are around the group going into next year yeah and we're kind of getting into it now but uh our next segment here i've actually got something that'll tie in very well to this so we should probably jump into that i don't want to get into it too much because then i'm going to be missing out on one of my one of my hits so yeah if you want to get into the next segment there and then we can break it down even more perfect all right so our next segment and kind of just the rest of this this episode is going to be uh winners and losers from the 2021 or 2022 2023 nhl season so this last calendar year let's say um and we're going to do two for each. We're going to try, and they don't have to necessarily be limited to players. We can do fans, management, coaching, uh, uh, scouts, if we wanted, like uh, anything like that. So so obviously it's going to be a, a loose definition of winning and losing. Uh, but, you know, based for, for me personally, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm going to kind of go off of expectations, exceeding, didn't exceed, blah, blah, blah. Um, so how do you want to, you want to go winners first and then losers? Yeah, we can do, we can do our winners first or sure, we can right, go so back and hit, forth. Hit me with your, uh, hit me with your two winners here, Brennan. I'll do, I'll, we'll do one at a time. Like I'll do mine and then okay. you do yours. Good call. Yeah. Okay. So for the first one, I'll just, because we were just talking about it, I'm going to build on it. Uh, my first winners are, are Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith. And that's not because they're winners as in like, they did a good job necessarily this season. It's that the way things played out makes them a winner because both of them are almost definitely going to have a job next year. Like, I think that if ownership had concluded when it was supposed to which was before july 1st that's when the league set the like their expectation they wanted everything wrapped up with this sale before july 1st now with the owners like they might be announced this week but they don't actually take over and, and do things until the paperwork is all settled bruce garyock reported that that won't be settled till late august or early fall and that the owners have all accepted that they're not going to be able to impact the draft or free agency this year which is honestly brutal because like that's like a whole offseason just missed for the new owners. Like they're going in the next year now with basically what they've got. Um, I just, you can't replace the GM and coach late August. Like we're talking about training camp in September, early September. You can't just replace everything and blow it all up in late August or early fall. That's just unrealistic. They're going to have to stick with what they've got. So a winner for me is Pierre Dorian, DJ Smith, because as much as we might not like it, they just got free job security for the next little while at least, and they know that they're going to make it through the summer now because the odds of a new owner coming in and blowing it up are, are next to none. I think that we just have to accept this is going to be another year of the same thing, and then they're going to go from there. That's that's a good one, yeah, because honestly, they, they obviously they didn't plan on this happening, but you're right. I mean, I think I think the extra job security, and you could even extend that to the last five years, both of them are four years, 
the the security that they both had has been pretty unprecedented and that's been pretty well documented. So I like I like those I like that pick. Um my first one's gonna kind of just I'm gonna keep it simple for this one. I'm just gonna do on the ice. Uh kind of looked at a player who was I was excited about and I think just blew every expectation out of the water was even better than I thought. I'm going with Claude Giroux, the the old man on the team. Uh I think I think the Sens right now it, it wrapped up the other day, but their Twitter account was kind of posting like goals of the year and it was like a vote. And I know that the final four, Giroux had three of the final four, like highlight reel goals from the season. And he had more in there too, but I think they were pitted against each other in the bracket. Like this guy, I think said, uh, well, he said a career high in goals or, you know, and, and I, I just think that he's such a gamer. And I, I really do think that the intangibles that he brings off the ice and people always, always roll their eyes at intangibles, but this, this Sens team is built on intangibles, right? Like, drafting Brady Kachuk but it's kind of interesting like I think Kachuk said it himself his leadership has taken another step because of Claude Giroux and that's really cool to me like I think that signing could go down as like the best in I I said it at the time and I said it in November I think I wrote about it the best signing in franchise history hands down and I think we're just going to keep seeing the fruits of it um I, I was I was absolutely blown away with Claude Giroux this year I don't think he had a bad game. Like, like just offensively, uh, the the fact that he was putting up numbers like that on the second power play unit too. Never saw any time on that top unit really. If everyone was healthy, um, put his head down, went to work, and it it seems like maybe not even Brady Kachuk because he was he is what he is and he he drags people into the fight. I think Claude Giroux is very responsible for Tim Stutzla stepping into his own as well, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. So. Cole Giroux to me is a big winner this season and maybe it's not even him himself. It's more sense fans because of Cole Giroux. Like how lucky are we that this guy's on the team? We can just be know what we're going to get with him night in and night out. Giroux is just the perfect acquisition. It, it looked perfect on paper. And then you kind of thought, okay, like I, I tried to temper expectations. Like I kind of tried to say, okay, Giroux, he's probably going to come in and be a good leader, but let's be real. He's, you know, turning 35 years old. He's probably going to have kind of a, you know, he hasn't, he's been kind of regressing in Philly over the last few years, points wise and stuff. And then he comes into Ottawa and he just lights it up a career high in goals, 35 years old. Like he scored 35 goals and he put up the most points, 79 in five years. Like what 35 year old does that? That's just absurd. So I think just, yeah, his fit on the ice was like, it really, really improved Ottawa's offense. I mean, he played anybody that played with Giroux saw increases in like everything points, metrics, all of it. Like he just made everyone better. And I just couldn't believe how good of a fit he was, but off the ice, like how we, we basically called him another coach. We, we considered him another coach because you saw clips of him on the bench, like directing, not, only, not even just the players, but the coaches. He was like yelling at the coaches as if he was part of that group. So this is a guy who, when he retires, he's going to be on the bench of a certain team because his his leadership abilities and like he understands the game at another level, man. Like the the intelligence that he put on the players around him is just totally surreal. So that's an awesome pick. Giroux is <laughs> he's like the ultimate sen, and, and I mean he's our John Tavares where he put on the pajamas and and he comes home right. So absolutely love that one. Uh, my next one I'm going to dive into, and it kind of follows the the same idea where this player didn't and this is a player, it didn't really succeed on the ice this year. Like, what, he's not a winner because of his performance. He's a winner because of what happened around the team. So my second one is Thomas Shabbat. Now, we really criticized Shabbat this year, and I was very harsh about his play because he made a lot of mistakes, and he just regressed. Like, he was not the same dynamic player that we'd seen in years past. 
The reason that I say he's a winner is because he's no longer the only defenseman on that decor. Like, he's now got Jake Sanderson coming in behind him, right? He's got Jacob Chikrin now. So Shabbat spent the most time partnered with Nikita Zaitsev over the last five years. Like, he's been with Zaitsev way more than anybody else. And then he also spent a lot of time with Hainsey when Hainsey was here. It's just, he's been partnered with these guys who aren't overly effective and who have kind of been anchoring him down. But it's the ice time. That's the big thing with Shabbat. And I said this is I was critical of Shabbat, but I think his usage was a huge problem. Um, he averaged almost 25 minutes this year, which was ninth in the league. And that's that like ninth is way lower than he's been previously. I think in each of the last four years, he was top three in average ice time, which is just imagine playing that much like year after year playing. And especially when you're doing it with Nikita Zaitsev, right? And Sanderson came in and he averaged 25-18 over the final 16 games. And I think that's a testament to DJ Smith trusting him more in Shabbat's absence when he was hurt. So I think next year Sanderson's going to be playing heavy minutes from the get-go. I think they're going to be splitting minutes. Like he and Shabbat are going to be splitting minutes. It's not going to be Shabbat playing 26 minutes a night anymore. Um, I mean, he he averaged 26 minutes or more in each of the last three years, Shabbat, other than this one, which is just, it's unrealistic to think a player is going to be sustaining their dynamic performance like Shabbat was a few years ago when they're playing that much it's just you're pushing him to his limits into the ground every night and it's almost unfair like I feel bad for Shabbat for the way they've used him um but yeah now they've got Sanderson there they've also got Chikrin who Chikrin averaged 21-23 over the last 10 games this year he's another guy who can take minutes from Shabbat or partner with him and at least take some of that load off of him Shabbat he had a bad year but like we're gonna probably get into this later in the summer but he's one of my biggest bounce back candidates next year because I think Playing less minutes, especially, is going to be the catalyst behind his better performance. And it doesn't seem like those things correlate because he's going to be on the ice less, but he's going to be fresh. Like he's going to have a new attitude and a new kind of, you know, he's not going to be fatigued all the time. He's going to actually be able to skate down the ice without breathing heavy, which is something new for Shabbat. And, and he's done this his whole career. He's just been worked into the ground and now he's in his prime. And I think next year he's going to be 10 times better than he was this year. I, I like that one because I was honestly, I was kind of debating my second one and, and I'm not going to go with it, but I'll just kind of mention it. Jack Capuano was my winner mentioned because he's the D coach for the Sens and look at the weapons they have now, right? Like, like the, the Sens decor is going to be a strength next season and probably the best part about their team, which is saying something. So um, I was going to put him and I think Shabbat goes in hand in hand with that, right? You're completely bang on with that. Um, I, before last season, anticipating Sanderson was going to come in and just be impactful. Uh, I wrote that Shabbat needed to have a statement year. And quite honestly, I might just take that article and say the same thing this season because he does again, like he needs to, he, he is quite honestly now for me at this very moment, he's third on the depth chart for D. Like I've got Sanderson and Chikrin ahead of him. Um, Based on last easily... season, that's fair. That's totally exactly. fair. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like going into next year, uh, that's how it should kind of play out but I, I, like they should all be equally dispersed ice time wise give or take um but yeah i like that pick a lot so my second one i'm not gonna go with jack Capuano. i'm gonna go with way off the ice uh, i'm gonna go with the melnick daughters and the melnick estate i think you look at the last uh calendar year obviously losing losing their father is brutal and it, it's not something that anyone at their age or at our age we're all the same age as them uh should should go through it's not not uh an enviable position but that being said, like look, what's happened with this team over the last 10 months, 12 months um, has been very impressive. So I think that they're a big part of the progressiveness that the Sens have shown. I think the um, the Pride Night in Ottawa was really special this season. 
the uh, Indigenous Rights Night. Like they've had a lot more uh, inclusiveness. It sounds like uh, just just that that's a small part of it, and I I would imagine that it's them leading that. Um, but also like they've got a bidding war for a billion dollars going on for this thing that they own. Um, so how could you not say they're winners? They're going to be rich, uh, you know, and, and obviously in, in that situation, they're going to be okay anyway, even if they held onto the team, like they'd have a, a pretty well-off life, but it's like, they're, they're going to be set for life. And it sounds like they're going to keep a stake in the team, which will probably drive the price down a little bit. But at the same time, like they're going to have a piece of the team. They don't have to be making the decisions. They're not the main owners. And they've got nearly a billion dollars in the bank between the two of them. So uh, I think, I think just all in all the way the team was invested and, and improved on the ice, the experience of the Canadian tire center was way better this season. Sellouts like 10 sellouts. I think this season full crowds uh, most nights, like 90% capacity average, I think all season, I think that's just a win for them. And, and it's uh, they, they might say that this was always part of the plan. This was always the timeline, but We'll never know that, and I don't believe it. I believe that Eugene Melnick passing away had a bit, a lot to do with why the last twelve months happened and why the sale is happening when it is. Um, but, but I think they're just—you can't not say that they're not winners right now because look, they're—they're uh, going to be in their early twenties with a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, and like if you see their Instagram stories too, it's not like they're sitting there at the Canadian Tire Center like processing the bids. No. They're off enjoying every single event that they can be enjoying. I mean, they're just having having a good time and they deserve it. Like you said, it, it's brutal to go through something like that at, at this age. It's just, you know, you don't wish that on anyone. And regardless of how the team's done better, it, it's a very tragic thing, you know, to ever see that. So um, that is a really good one, though. I actually didn't even think of that. Like I was going through everybody in the organization and that didn't even come to mind. But yeah, they're living their best life and they're they're going to be just rolling in money after this whole thing is done. So uh, congratulations to them. Plus, they get to own probably ten percent of the team too. Like they're keeping that stake, keeping their name or their name in the uh, uh, around the team. So, um, yeah, congrats to them. I guess we'll get into losers now, though. I can do my first one. So my first one is Cam Talbot. Now Talbot was acquired last year in exchange for Philip Gustafson. It was just one for one, and myself included. Like people were fine with the deal at the time because we liked Gustafson. Just a consensus. The consensus sense fans. We like Gustafson. He showed potential but he wasn't putting it all together in Ottawa. Like he kind of, he just, he, he didn't look like he was ready for the full-time role and they needed to be better this year. There were firm expectations that the Sens had to be better this year. So Dorian went out and he got a goaltender who was an all-star last year. And, and he, you know, he traded someone who just wasn't working in Ottawa. So we were fine at the time, but Talbot, while he played 36 games, he posted an 8.98 save percentage, which was his lowest in five years. Um, and he, he couldn't stay healthy. Like he had three separate injuries this year, which for a goalie, that's just it's hard to get into a rhythm when you're dealing with injuries, but Talbot, when he was playing super inconsistent, he was in some of those games and he actually had a positive win record. Like he had a winning record, but I don't know. I mean, the team really, uh, he just, he let in a lot of bad goals. I thought in, in a lot of critical moments and, and just wasn't able to play. It was almost like Matt Murray where he just wasn't able to play when they needed them to play. And down the stretch, when they had the opportunity to make the playoffs, Talbot wasn't available. He was hurt. And that's not necessarily on him, but I'd say he's a loser for this season just because it really hurt the team. If Talbot was healthy all year, maybe they make the playoffs, right? I mean, I don't know, but the, the goalie situation really kind of screwed the team over. And, and for that reason, I say Talbot uh, is a loser. And also the fact that Gustafson went and he had a, as in a caliber season in Minnesota. So now fans like fans are just against Talbot at this point. I mean, uh, you, you like the guy off the ice, but Gustafson 
that's bitter, man. Like you look and, and you look at if Gustafson could have done half of what he did in Minnesota this year, which who knows, right? I mean, he said he found his game behind a, a more confident situation there in Minnesota. But if he could have done half of that for Ottawa and stayed healthy, maybe they made the playoffs too. So Talbot, uh, we respect you for coming in, but uh, it did not work out as everybody had hoped. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. And and anything to do with that Philip Gustafson for Talbot deal is a loss. Um, I'm going to go with a guy who is still part of the core and maybe not even necessarily his fault. So it's kind of a one-two. Uh, my my first loser of this season is going to be um, Josh Norris and the Ottawa Senators medical team. Uh, at the time when he got re-injured and was done for the year, I think it was against Winnipeg, uh, I was hot. I was, I was very angry. Um, and I, I respect that the Sens, the, the approach they took was it's in the player's hands. Um, it's his decision, like not to, you know, to, to rehab and not do surgery in October, blah, blah, blah. Um, and honestly, not even if he had had the surgery in October, it's not like he would be back for a playoff run in March kind of thing. Right. He still probably would have been out, um, until playoffs, maybe if they were lucky, but anyway, I just think that whole thing, um, it didn't sit right with me and it still doesn't really, it's, it's bothering. it, It bothers me that shoulders with this strength and conditioning team like it's not a people might be rolling their eyes and it's like oh injuries are flukes injuries are flukes like i don't know i am looking at the panthers and hurricanes after that four overtime game and i don't know if you saw but matthew kachuk is you know he's the player of the game obviously because he's the winner and he shouts out the strength and conditioning team because he's like you know these were the best conditioned teams in the league i think i think the carolina hurricanes like are, are known for that because rod brindmore is their coach like there, there, there's so much that goes into it and you might you might kind of think oh every nhl team is just copy paste with the way they train and then the dieting and all this but they're not it's completely different it's it's subjective and it's up to your strength and conditioning and your athletic therapy blah 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 um so it's not a coincidence or maybe it is i don't know what i'm trying to say but the the shoulder injuries are kind of like a red flag huge red flag to me um and i know that the sends especially kind of you know praise their and former players always praise the staff and how nice they are and they're great people and i'm not discounting any of that um but it's not a good look (laughs) basically is what i'm saying especially a 60 million dollar investment like josh norris like that um just essentially wasting a a full season of his of his career so it's not really putting blame on anyone but that whole situation was just a loss and they needed norris and I, i don't think that it was fair to either him or the team to kind of throw him back in that situation and then just have him get injured again. Like it's, it's not a good look. And again, of course it happened the year before with Shane Pinto, another young center and another shoulder injuring it on a face-off. So I don't know, maybe they got to analyze something like that. I'm not a genius when it comes to athletic therapy, but um, it's not a coincidence that it keeps happening. Yeah. And I'm going to have to pivot now because Josh Norris was my second loser as well. Um, No, but yeah, so he got injured after five games this year, and it was like one of those fluke incidents where it was off the face-off. I think, yeah, like you said, it was just like a a weird thing where he kind of got his shoulder tied up, and it didn't look bad, and then it ended up holding him out for four months, and then he came back after four months, and the vibes were good. Like, the vibes were good because the Sens were primed to make a playoff push, and they were getting Josh Norris back, and again, depth was one of their biggest issues this year, largely because Pinto had to play the second line instead of the third line and then Gambrell had to play the third line for a lot of the year and it just depth was not good enough mainly because of injuries so Norris came back after four months and suddenly 
things look good. This the top six look good. The depth looked good. It all looked like it was coming together. Three games later, like couldn't even get you know a five game stint. Three games later, he re injures that shoulder and he doesn't come back. And it, it it's just devastating because he signed that you know deal for eight million dollars a year and he's coming off of a thirty five goal. I've got to pull it up here. Thirty five goal, fifty five point uh, second season in the league, sophomore season, and. Like you have to think with the with the steps this core took this year, I mean Norris could have very well put up forty plus goals over a full season and potentially you know eighty plus points along with Kachuk and, and Timmy, right? So, like that that's a really I'm sure he's more devastated than anybody about it because he's a competitor. Nobody wants to sit on the sidelines hurt. Um, but yeah, like like his loss and we talked about it last time how centers are so important to a team's operations and, and being deep at center is critical. Ottawa wasn't and it was because they were missing Josh Norris. So. Yeah, that's uh, that was arguably their biggest loss this year, aside from the goaltenders, and maybe even more than the goaltenders. Yeah, and just another quick thing on Norris, because we actually haven't really talked much about him. I think we could dedicate a couple episodes to a player, you know, throughout the the summer. But I, with Norris, it's like he came back, and it, I'm still hot thinking about. It. I remember at the time I was like, was writing like crazy, and just like it was, it was a crazy situation. But he comes back, and it was what mid January. I know it was that brutal loss to the Jets where he, he re-injured it. Um, and if I'm remember, remembering the play correctly, it's kind of, he was reaching for a puck in the neutral zone and just kind of got bumped. Like he wasn't hit. He just ran into a guy kind of, and you can see him go back to the bench. He's like, yeah, I'm done. And then he was shut down for the year, had surgery. I, I guess I'm just thinking like, and maybe this is me blaming him a little bit. Like what was the plan? Because if I'm watching these teams in the playoffs and it is a hard game and like everything, every hit is finished. You have to finish every hit. Like face-offs are a grind. Like in front of the net, it's a scrum every time. So even if if he had played the rest of the season, was he expecting to not get bumped like that again? Like I, I don't know if you can call that a fluke. It's just like you got to understand that if you're that fragile, then you aren't ready to play. And I think that it would have. I mean, I mean, he was already out all year, so it didn't re-hurt the team. But like you got our hopes up, you know, like you said, we were fired up. They were going on a playoff run. I just don't, I, I was frustrated about the whole thing because it's like, what do you expect to happen when you uh, go into a playoff battle against Brent Burns? Cause you were going to play the Carolina hurricanes. Like he's going to make your life miserable. There's no way he would have made it through uh, that many more games. I just, that's, what's frustrating to me. Well, they must've just overestimated where his shoulder was at, right? Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping they wouldn't just throw him back out there. If you know, he really wasn't ready to go. Um. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and the problem is, like, I know Norris. I at least last season for sure finished first in the fitness testing. Like, he's the best. True, yeah. He's in the best shape on the team. But again, that goes back to me being like, he's in the best shape because these guys, the strength coaches, give them programs to work on throughout the off season. Yeah. So they're telling him to do. Oh yeah. You know, don't loosen up your shoulder. I don't know. Like, uh, I've I've had friends who played hockey at super high levels and their shoulders are all messed up and stuff like that. And like surgery is required pretty much and it's just i don't understand like the uh the decision making from him because i know it's obviously his choice and i don't want to you know get mad at him for not having surgery originally but it just leaves more questions and he is he is a question mark going into the next season we don't know how he's going to be it's a big change um so that that's kind of my josh norris rant there but uh, uh he is he is definitely one of the losers for me uh this season yeah, and, and you just feel bad for him. Like, even, I mean, you, you know, even if, like, it was a bad choice, like, if it was him saying he felt like his shoulder was good enough to go, he, was, he just wanted to help make a playoff run, right? And it's, 
it's unfortunate. Like, you have to think if he was that fragile, he would have known that he was that fragile or, like, that it was a big risk coming back. Because if I'm remembering right, he didn't need to have surgery originally, correct? And then when he decided to come back, he ended up having to have it, which is a bigger deal because there's there's greater risk now of re-injuring it again and again and again. And if we're paying $8 million a year for a guy who's going to be hurt all the time, that's uh, that's a huge loss. Like, Norris is a critical part of the team. I think he's one of the most underrated critical components of the roster just because people forget about him a lot of the time because he's been hurt, but it's like, man, like you need to have that guy in your top six. He's a big part of center. So we'll move off of Norris and, and maybe talk about him later in a separate episode a little bit. But uh, my second loser, so I have it written down, is Josh Norris. But I'm going to just pivot here. I'm going to go, and we've talked about it a little bit, but it's the first thing I can think of. Uh, I'm going to say Ryan Reynolds and the NHL. And I say this because... Ryan Reynolds was going to be the perfect owner of the Ottawa Senators. He was the A++ pick. He was the guy who was going to promote things for the league. He was going to do a whole documentary and kind of do this unique ownership style that we haven't really seen before in the NHL, where he was going to be involved, but he was going to have partners who had deep pockets who were going to help the Sens be a Stanley Cup champion. But he was going to kind of do this thing that we hadn't seen from NHL owners that we're seeing in Wrexham. And it was going to be huge for the game of hockey. Like, not just the sense, but for the game of hockey, it was going to be massive. And this is why Gary Bettman could not keep the smile off his face when he was asked about it, is because it was going to bring a ton of revenue. And, and globally, it was going to bring a lot of people uh, to the NHL and to the game of hockey like it has for Exum. So it's hard to blame the NHL because the whole thing that happened with the, the timeline and the window was not the NHL's fault. It was really on Reynolds and, and the Remington group. And it's a whole thing. But I think overall, regardless of what happened, the fact that Reynolds is out and the fact that that the NHL is not going to get him as an owner unless something happens at the last second here. Um, I think that's a huge loss for for everybody involved. Like, it's a loss for the Sens. It's a loss for Reynolds. It's a loss for the NHL. It's a loss for the game of hockey. It's a loss for the fans of hockey. It just sucks. Like, it really sucks. And, and I'm still upset about it, even though we're, we're going to get a new owner here. It's still in the back of my mind, just kind of eating away at me. It's it's going to be a big what could have been kind of scenario. Um, and again, this is assuming he's not going to join another group and and... I'm not, I, we said it before, I'm not really holding a hope on that. I've kind of closed the, the chapter, but it, it is disappointing because uh, it would have been so good for the Sens as a brand and for the NHL, uh, for a league that's kind of struggling to make its make a name in the U.S. especially. It would have been huge. Um, so on, on that, actually, my loser kind of ties into that a little bit. Uh, it is on the ice. I'm going to go with Alex Dabrinkit because you think about just this whole situation contract-wise and Waiting for ownership is kind of what it sounds like he's doing, maybe. And maybe he doesn't even know if he wants to stay here yet. Um, but the season he had, the the fact that we were kind of sitting here going into last season, being, you know, curious about the impact he would make, right? And obviously the qualifying offer number w- was in everyone's mind. And that was one of the first things brought up with the trade. Uh, you're thinking, is this a $9 million man? And I think... All season, it was a debate, and it still is. Like, is he worth $9 million? Um, I think with the season it had, he didn't do himself any favors, right? And he he didn't make it worse, but he didn't make it any better. I think he he kind of stayed stagnant. He was a 27-goal scorer with 66 points, I think. Um, set a career high in assists. Uh, was, was not good at 5-on-5. Five five, couldn't score really on 5-on-5. Five five, didn't get help defensively. Like a lot of numbers that I would not be surprised if they flip the other way in his favor next season. And then we're all just kind of laughing about this. Um, but the way his season went and the way it started, he started really slow. I don't think he did himself any favors. And then on top of all that, 
the way this ownership thing is dragging out, I don't know if like if that's another factor. If we're not signing papers and they can't do anything until August, he's that that'll be past an arbitration date. He'll have a new deal by then, regardless of where it is. So that, that I think I think in general he's just losing right now because you know he moves to a new city and the team is expected to do great things internally. They're saying we achieved our goals, blah, blah, blah. You listen to any players. That's actually another thing I wanted to mention about Claude Giroux. Whenever he does post-game, pre-game media, I'm immediately watching him. There's a couple of players where I'm like, eh, I don't need to listen to that. Like nothing's going to come out there. But Giroux is is always so raw and honest and I like it. Um, which is why, again, it kind of ties into the Debrinket thing. The Sens say they, they met expectations this season, but you listen to the players and especially Giroux, it kind of sounds like they had playoff expectations in that dressing room and they didn't meet them. And I think that I've made the argument that if Debrinket could have potted three or four more goals in November, this was a playoff team. Like it's it, the margin was that thin. And I think he's the biggest X factor for why they didn't end up in a better spot earlier in the season. So that's why I think he's just a, a loser in this scenario right now. Um, and especially in a contract year like that, most guys like Josh Norris in a contract year pop off and get 35 goals in 66 games. Debrinket had 27 um, and didn't look like the best player on this team, which he could have been. And, and I think on top of all that, again, he had stretches where he was. In December, I remember around Christmas, he was the best player on this team, hands down. So I, I don't think... Uh, I would say that the, the, with all the questions we needed answered around Debrinket this season, none of them were answered. <laughs> like it was more just, okay, we'll see what direction they take. I can see either side, uh, kind of thing. So I'm not sure how you feel about everything, but to me, he, he just the 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 situation he finds himself in is a bit of a loser situation. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I was kind of considering him as my second one as well. Um, it's just you know there were concerns, and a lot of people talked about when he was acquired. Well. What's he going to be away from Patrick Kane? And can he replicate kind of what he did in Chicago? And it was tough for him because it's entering a contract year, like you said. This, And I'm sure that distracted him too, right? You have that on your mind. But um, he, was, he was playing this year for money. You know, he was playing for the big bucks and earning, you know, a $9 million plus dollar contract. And at the end of the year, he probably came into the year thinking that, you know, he was hoping people would be just on board with paying him $9 million plus at the end of the year because that's the season he had. And at the end of the year, nobody wants to pay him that much. And a lot of people are even saying they wouldn't pay him over like $7 million. And it's just, it's like, you have to think he's upset about it as well. And I do consider him a loser because they needed them to be better. Like he had a, a negative impact on the team based on what we were expecting. We expected a, a whole lot more than he provided, especially on the score sheet. Um, I'm not as down on his season overall as most people, but I do think like the struggle to score at 5v5, it, it really did hurt the team. And again, they needed him to step up in Norris's absence, right? Like he was the prime candidate to step up in Josh Norris's absence and score goals. And he just didn't make up for it. Like he, he really did not make up for it. So Debrinket's a good one. I think this ownership thing is a good point about it. That's actually why I was considering it more was because he wanted to wait and see what happened with ownership. And now it's like, yeah, he, he's going to be passed. They're going to be settled when he's, he needs a contract. And so it, it's like, Either he's going to get traded or he's going to have to settle for that one-year deal unless he decides he's ready to commit, right? Because he said he was going to wait and come back after new ownership settled. That can't really happen now if everything works out as expected. So it's going to be a one-year deal or you're traded or you just suck it up and you decide to stick with the Sens and sign long-term. So yeah, I consider this whole situation and, and back to Reynolds and the ownership thing, just it relates to Debrinket directly too. And that kind of makes him, you know, it makes him more of a loser right now too. And he's really losing this summer. 
Yeah, and and honestly, the more this ownership kind of plays out and all these bids are public and all that, uh, the less I blame him for waiting, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if... I don't know if I expected him to sign an extension right when he was traded, like, last summer. Like, I remember uh, Kevin Weeks tweeted out, like, keep an eye out for... Um, to break it, they're working on an extension. I think that was like October 2nd, and we still haven't heard anything there, Kevin. So thank you. Uh, but I think around then it would have made sense. But then the team went for sale in November or was like reported for sale. That's when that all started. So, you know, the more that we hear about these bids and they were talking about the Sparks bid and how odd it seems, I, I'm not blaming him for not wanting to sign on for eight years of his life, right? Like this isn't just deciding, oh yeah, this is where I'm going to, play for next season he's deciding where's my son gonna grow up like it's it's a big decision and i i think um i i think with how quickly a lot of these other young sense players had signed extensions and so willingly and how they embrace the culture and everything um it kind of spoiled us i think as fans a little bit right like yeah it's it's a good culture and and then look if if he decides he doesn't want to be here for whatever reason it's completely fair to blame him as well like i'm not saying anyone shouldn't and that's what sports are you're supposed to hate other players who don't want to be a part of your team but it's such a unique scenario that i don't blame him like he's going to be the first deal with this ownership group if it all works out like if if let's say tomorrow he signs pen to paper and dorian gets the okay to sign him to 60 million dollars then you know i won't use the sparks group let's say michael Andlauer buys the team and he's a nightmare then you're stuck here for eight years and you could have literally waited. You had time to wait. So I don't blame him. I'd be surprised if we hear anything to bring it wise before the draft, to be honest. Um, I, I think that deadline's just going to come and go. Uh, but again, it can change in, I guess it's a month-ish now until the draft. So um, we'll see then. But yeah, to me, I think to bring it, uh, I put him as my second one, but I'd say that whole situation, even though it's a great trade, he's still a good piece of this team. I think the entire to bring it situation in the last year has been a bit of a loser scenario. They're just in limbo. The whole organization has been in limbo because of this ownership thing. And yeah, it, it's bad timing for Debrinket because he got traded here and, and this wasn't really happening yet. And now all of a sudden it is and it's been going on and on and it got delayed. And he was probably thinking of that original timeline of July 1st and he could kind of get everything sorted out and get an extension ready to go. Um, now that's been pushed back. So I don't know, like I, I'm interested to know, to know where his mind is at now with it all because he's kind of stuck in limbo with the rest of the team and the organization. And yeah, like you said, I mean, people overlook the the personal aspect to this whole thing. Like, we were spoiled with the guys that got drafted, the core that got drafted by Ottawa, willing to sign long-term, but Debrinket came in from Chicago in a different situation that he really liked and that he didn't even want to leave in the first place. He was kind of forced out of. Um, and now he's moved his whole family to Canada, where he's never, you know, really set roots before. And it's like, you have to look at it from his perspective and, and we're not saying he doesn't like Ottawa or anything. Nobody knows how he feels about Ottawa, but he's got to make a decision for his family. And I mean, if he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here if he can't commit to it. But yeah, I mean, who knows what the new owner is going to be like? There's no guarantee that the new owner is going to be this excellent owner who's going to make the Sens a championship team. Like they really could go, you know, terribly. Like we really don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's up to him at the end of the day. We'll see. The timeline just really sucks for everybody involved. And, and for, for like, Dorian, too, and stuff, it's hard because this is a huge contract. This, like, he might get paid more than anybody on the Sens right now. And that's just the reality is I know people don't want to pay him more than Tim or Brady, but 
to keep him, you might have to pay him eight point five million or nine million, and it would be tough to swallow. But like that, that could be your biggest contract for years, maybe for the entire duration of this core's window. So it's it's going to be the biggest deal in franchise history. If he signs an eight year deal, that'll be the the richest contract in Sens history. Like it's not nothing. And and I think as much as we want to pinch pennies on him, it's like and then on management and they want to pinch pennies. That's it's it's a big deal, like you said. Like I I just I don't understand. Um, if anyone out there, I don't know, it's been pretty quiet with the Brinkett stuff lately, but I'd say that, that anyone saying it, it should be done already. And like, if the fact that it's taking so long means he doesn't want to be here, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't buy any of that at all. Like, it's not a, a sleep on it kind of decision. Yeah. It's just like, it feels like right now the Sens aren't authorized to make any huge moves. Like when we're talking about it, it, the biggest deal in franchise history, we're talking about, you know, close to $10 million a year eaten up here by, by this one player. So a new owner coming in is going to have to authorize that. Like you can't just randomly sign this player to this much money. And then the new owner comes in and decides that they didn't want to do that move or something. It's, it's more than just a, a Pierre Dorian thing here. He needs to have the authorization and needs to have like the ability to do this stuff. And I know it's been like they acquired Chikrin and stuff, but I don't think they've been able to do a whole lot money wise with this ownership thing going on. Like it's been fairly limited to what they can actually do. I don't think they've been able to sign to Brinkett for that reason in part too. Um, but again, like now they have to make a decision because the new owners might not be able to do anything about it anyways. Like you can't be forced to trade to Brinkett because the new owners aren't settled yet. Like that would be a worst case scenario. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully it can get all sorted out and sign them long term. Just obviously we're, we're going to wrap up here soon, but like it's a good point i think since the team has been for sale uh i would say that they have brought on an extra hundred thousand dollars in salary they shipped out nikita zaitsev at 4.5 and brought in jacob chikrin at 4.6 no extensions have really been signed i think zub was signed right after maybe or maybe right before um not sure about the date there but like yeah yeah i mean money in money out um kind of the old the old ways that we were used to for the sends right and Obviously, you're a cap team. You kind of have to do that. But they did have a little bit of wiggle room. I think they could have pulled off a chicken trade with Zaitsev still on the team. Maybe move a little things. But um, there, there, it wasn't an accident that it took that long kind of to do that and to get Zaitsev out. Uh, uh, so, yeah, money in and money out scenario right now. So, I, man, I, I really don't know how that's going to work for free agency. Um, I know uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do a, a potential target show in the next uh, coming weeks here, like just who, who we like around the league. Um, I know Victor Arvidsson is, is rumored to be um, a, a cap casualty in, in Los Angeles. So that would be a great, I think, addition to any top nine. Like we got lots of guys. Um, so this has been episode nine of the Everyday Sense podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we got carried away once again, but that's how, that's what we plan to do. Um, so uh, we will see you guys on Friday.